I am so delighted that you are joining and connecting with us today. I know that most of you are connecting with us uh, on Sunday, and that is just awesome. But some of you are connecting with us a little later during the course of this week. And here's the deal. I just want you to know that whenever you're watching this for the very first time, it is a God-orchestrated moment. So lean in. If you're on the Facebook chat, type lean in. All right, let's pray. God, would you work miracles today and have your way both in front of the camera and behind the camera. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Listen, uh, this would be a fabulous time for you to push that share button if you're watching this on, the, on your Facebook uh, page and let's just share this worship gathering with your family and friends. If you're on our website, be sure to share the website link with your family and friends. You want your family and friends to engage with this message. Now, this is the last two weeks of the series that I have called Hope in the Midst of an Upside Down World. And for uh, the third week in a row, uh, as it relates to this week's message, we are working on and finishing up talking about what does it mean for Jesus followers collectively to be hope in a broken world. And to that end, I want to take us to the Sermon on the Mount as we finish this teaching up. And the Sermon on the Mount is the most famous sermon in history. It was preached by Jesus himself. But at the very heart of his teaching is the, is the next couple of verses that I want to make sure that we look at here uh, for the bulk of this teaching today. He says, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Now, if you're watching from outside of the United States, here's the deal. I'm going to be talking about the political, the visit political context here in this nation. But if you learn the lessons that Jesus is trying to teach as a Jesus follower, you can apply those lessons wherever you live. Secondly, even if you don't believe that Jesus is the son of God and you're not a Jesus follower in that sense, I want to suggest to you that you follow Jesus' lead. Take his advice that he's going to share through this message and he can help you to become transformative right where you live. Because the division that we're experiencing here in America around politics that's really culminating in our national elections uh, on November 3rd is replicated in a remarkable and yet horrible ways across the globe. And Jesus is saying to you, be a light. Now, with that as a context, I want to, let's read this again in the NIV version. Here's what he says. Listen up, those of you here in America. Listen up, Republicans. Listen up, Democrats and Libertarians, progressives and uh, conservatives. Listen to Jesus talk to you. He says, you have heard that it was said. Perhaps you heard that it was said on CNN, MSNBC. Perhaps you heard it was said on Fox. Perhaps you read it was said in, in the New York Times or the Washington Post. Uh, but, but, but surely you've heard this message recently in our political climate. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Love your neighbor. Love those who think the same way you do politically. Love those who, are in, who share the political philosophy, the political party, the ethnic group, the, 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 the people group that you are a part of. Love them, your neighbor, and hate your 
enemy. Another word. Everybody shout enemy. Type enemy in the chat. Enemy. Another word for enemy is those who oppose you. Those who are in the other party, those who are working against you, those who you're working against, those who you can't stand, those who you radically disagree with. He says, you've heard the message sent across their ways. Hate them. But Jesus says, I tell you, love your enemies. Love those who oppose you and fighting against you. Pray for them. Now the question clearly comes to mind, Jesus, as you talk about love your enemies. Hey, Jesus, is this really practical? Can I just ask you guys, as you're writing in the chat, can you just answer this question for yourself? Is this practical for yourself? Is this doable for you individually? Can you just type yes or no or I don't know? I mean, respond. Is this practical? As you think about this question, is it practical? Is it doable? Let me shift your attention for a moment. <clears throat> you know, the 1960s in America felt very similar to this season that we're living through. If you were an adult living through the 60s, and if you think about it, the feel is kind of similar, right? I mean, for example, you know, there's tons of pain that surrounds uh, the recent verdict that came down as relate to Brianna Taylor. And there was tons of pain that surrounded uh, the death of young Emmett Till in Chicago and how that was adjudicated. There's tons of pain that surrounded the four little girls that lost their lives when a church in Birmingham was bombed and they were in Sunday school and how that was adjudicated. This, that the racial justice was at the very center then, just like it's at the very center now. I mean, the presidential election between Mr. Kennedy and Mr. Nixon was the closest election in the history of the country as of that moment. And it was nasty and mean, just like this one. I mean, it felt very similar, guys. And guess what? Family members were turning on each other because of politics and, 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 and social policy, just like now. And into that context stepped a young 26-year-old Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and he brought with him, watch this, a world-changing secret. Can you type world-changing secret? Now, Scholars will accredit him as they look back, he and the, his leadership of tens of thousands of people in partnership with other people who are working uh, for civil rights with the tremendous gains that was made. For example, uh, the Civil Rights Act of 1964 that where federal law put an end to discrimination based on race and sex and color and religion and later on uh, the category of sexual orientation was added to that, right? Totally a sea shift for not just African Americans but for tons of people who are marginalized and minority groups. The world changed, shifted. And it was Dr. King's world-changing secret that lie at the heart of it. Volumes have been written about Dr. King, and it's even been written about this. And yet, as, as I read the scholarly work, they say it, but they miss the power of this secret. It's a secret in plain view. 
Here's the secret. And by the way, if you catch this secret, listen now, it will activate the light of Jesus in your life in this moment. If you catch this secret, it will, it will tr- totally transform how you live your life in your house as well as in your world. In our world. Are you ready for the secret? Here it is. Here's the secret. He loved his enemies. That was it. Dr. King's work of justice was not simply motivated by his love for his supporters. His work of justice was also motivated by his love for those who opposed him. (laughs) You've got to assess what motivates you now as we think about this notion. He loved his enemies. Here's a picture. He was leading a march in Chicago and he fell and suddenly he's, he's trounced upon and he's being beaten and brutalized. You can add this to hundreds of other events where he was totally brutalized. His home was born, bombed and the list goes on and on and yet he refused to hate. He was totally committed to loving his enemies. As a matter of fact, this, theme, this text that we are exploring could be considered the theme text of his entire public career. Listen to how he talks about this text of Jesus saying, love your enemies in a sermon that he delivered uh, to Dexter Avenue Church, the first church he pastored. Here's what he says. Now, there is a final reason I think that Jesus says, love your enemies. It is this, that love has within it a redemptive power. And there is a power there that eventually transforms individuals. Now, he, he, he's, not, he's saying that not only does the work of love liberate those who are being hated, but doing the work of love in a loving way ultimately transforms those who hate individuals. That's why Jesus says, love your enemies, because if you hate your enemies... You have no way to redeem or to transform your enemies. End quote. His secret was he loved his enemies. You know, I could restate that secret this way. Dr. King loved like Jesus loves. He loved like Jesus loves. That's it. And that's the challenge for you for the rest of this message. I want to I challenge you, whatever your political context is, you call the love the way Jesus loves. So obviously the question is, how do, how, how do I do that? How does one do that? Well, here's the first insight. First insight is you actually have to want to do it. You, you have to want to do it, guys. You have to you, you want to do it. Now, let me just admit All of us, and I'm going to throw myself in this loop. All of the hatred in the world, all the ways that people are going back and forth. The truth is, oftentimes, we just don't want to do it. Do we? (laughs) I mean, if you're Republican, do you really want to love the folk at the far left or the Democratic side? I mean, mean, if you're a Democrat, do you really want to love the folk on the far right or on the Republican side? I mean, mean, is it in your heart? Do you want... To. I mean, actually, why don't you answer that question in the chat? I mean, you can just be, I mean, do, do, you, do, you, do you want to? See, here's the insight, guys. 
There's a part of our nature. It's a sinful part of our nature. I don't care how good we understand ourselves to be. There's a sinful part of our nature that is best described by this story. Listen, Eskimos over the, over the centuries have discovered what they call the blood knife trick, trap, when it comes to tracking and trapping wolves. And here's what they do. Here's a, here's a, here's a deal. They take a knife like this and they're sharpening it as sharp as they can make it. And then they take the blade of the knife and they dip it in the blood of a, of a killed animal. And, and then they freeze the blood. And then they re-dip it back in blood and freeze it again. And they revisit that process until they get several layers of frozen blood on the blade. And then they, they, they you see the handle of the blade right here. They bury the handle in the snow, leaves the blade up. The wolves, with their keen sense of smell, begin to sense the blood of their enemies. And they find their way here, and they start to lick the blade. And of course, they lick, and, and the licking of the blade, the blood on the blade, before long, it turns them into a frenzy. And they lick through all of the different frozen layers until finally, they're actually licking the sharp blade and the sharp blade is cutting their tongues and, and, and the blood from their tongues is pouring onto the blade and they continue to lick until ultimately they kill themselves. That's the trap. You see, whether we like to admit it or not, there's a part of us that kind of enjoy licking the blood of our enemies. There's a part of us that, that finds what I want to call joy in the pleasure of outrage. And especially in the name of justice and good, right? I, I call it sometimes the mob mentality. You know, if you're, you're in a peaceful march and, and some, somebody in that march starts turning over cars and, and setting things on fire and breaking windows and all that kind of stuff. Uh, if you're not careful, that stuff will, 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 will tap into that sinful part of you. And before you know it, the pleasure of outrage will overtake you as you lick the blood of your enemies and you become a part of the madness of the mob, even if it's destroying your own community. Be careful when it comes to licking the blood of your enemies. You see, because the blade is actually the blade of hatred. And if we're not careful, the blade of hatred will transform us into the very people who will destroy our families, our communities, and ultimately our nation in a fit of rage of irrevocable division. Dr. King would say it like this, either we will learn to live together as brothers and our as sisters, or we will perish together as fools. Be careful when it comes to licking the blood of your enemies. The antidote, love your enemies. The second thing, is um, you got to ask for the heart and the eyes of God. See, at the end of the day, <laughs> we want to, but usually we don't want to. <laughs> 
And the antidote for that is really to ask for the heart and eyes of God to become a part of our lives, to ask God to fill us with his spirit. Come on now. Here's how Jesus continues to teach as he talks about this text. Look what he says. Look what he says. He says, in that way, as you're committed to loving your enemies, he says, you will be acting as, watch this, true children of your Father who is in heaven. Your, 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 your heart will look like his heart. Come on, you, they, they'll look at you and they'll say, you're favoring your Father who are in heaven. For he gives his sunlight. Sunlight is another word for blessing uh, to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain. Rain is another word for blessing on the just and the unjust alike. Just stop right here. Stop right here. Stop right here. Here's, 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 what, here's the teaching. That the, 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 the rain and the sunshine reflects God's blessing that brings forth harvest. And, and the blessing reflects God's heart, his love. And what Jesus is saying is that, 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 that the evil one God loves the good one God loves, the just one God loves, the unjust one God loves, and you and I, we're super excited to hear that. Why? Why? Why are we super excited to hear that? It's, it's this. Because sometimes we're standing in the just category, and sometimes we're standing in the unjust category. Sometimes we're standing in the evil category. The Bible often uses the word sin, and sometimes we're standing in the good category. But, but the good news is that nothing can separate us from the love of God revealed in Christ Jesus. That wherever we're standing, that we can depend upon the faithful love of God. My goodness. Somebody shout good news. Good news. And the other thing is, we see the eyes of God here, right? God sees the just and the unjust. God sees the good and the evil. But he doesn't just see the unjust, for example. He sees what makes the unjust unjust. He sees a story behind it. He sees the brokenness that causes the unjust to be unjust that's his eyes and Jesus says you ought to have that heart you ought to have those eyes as his children he says if you love only those who love you those in your party those who think like you come on now those who look like you what reward is there for that even corrupt tax collectors and Matthew is, 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 is laying this out and is, 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 is sharing with us Jesus' words and he's a former tax collector so he knows what he's talking about. Tax collectors do that much. Watch the phrase again. If you are kind only, somebody shout only, type in the text, chat only, only to your friends, people who like you and make you feel good about yourself and, 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 and vote the way you vote, right? How are you different? How are you a light shining against the backdrop of darkness from anyone else? Even pagans, those who are ungodly, that's what the word pagan means, they do that. And watch this text, it says, but you ought to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, let me just hasten to point out, he's not talking about behavior here. He's talking about love. The whole passage is about the Father's love. So he's saying, you ought to love, your love ought to be perfect like the Father's love is perfect. We say, well, what does perfect love look like? That's a great question. 
It's what perfect love looks like. It's, it's the ability to love your family members when they are just, and it's the ability to love your family members when they are unjust. Come on now. It's the ability to love your family members, the people in your house, when they get on your nerves, and it's the ability to love them when they inspire you. It's the ability to love the folk who bring a sense of shame to your life, and it's the ability to love the folk who make you proud that they are part of your family and your household. It's the ability to love perfectly faithfully is another word right to love both sides perfect love faithful love Dr. King would say redemptive love God calls us to love that way and the only way you get that is you have to ask God for it You have to want it enough to ask him for it. The third thing here, third insight is this. You got to have a commitment to Jesus that is above all and that is a no matter what commitment. When you have a commitment to Jesus that is above all and a no matter what commitment, it positions you to be used powerfully in some surprising ways by God. Watch this. Even inside of your political party, your group, your, whether it's your ethnic group or your political group or your special interest group, that, that, that you are Jesus' light there, right? It positions you. All right, let me illustrate this by telling you a quick story. In the Gospel of Luke, there's a conversation that takes place between uh, a religious uh, expert in Jewish law who publicly asks Jesus, how do you uh, gain eternal life? Jesus basically responds by saying, well, hey, how do you read the law? Uh, the young man simply, he quotes the, what's called the Shema, the heart of the Jewish law, which is really summarized as, you should love the Lord thy God with all of your, with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you got it, go do that. And the text says, wanting to justify himself publicly, right? Trying to put Jesus on the spot. He says, well, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus tells this remarkable story. But, but because Jesus is accountable to a higher power, watch this, watch this. He takes this moment and transforms it into a moment, watch this, to teach and to critique his own group. Let's read the text. Let's read what it says. So Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man, remember Jesus is Jewish. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up and left him half dead beside the road. And then it goes on to say that by chance a priest came by and saw him and walked around him on the other side. And then a little later on, it says the, uh, uh, the temple assistant walked over to him, looked at him, took a good look at him, walked by and left him lying there, half dead. Then verse 33, this is very interesting. It says, then Jesus says, a despised, type that word in the chat, despised, everybody shout, despised, a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him and ultimately helped him. Now, the, the crowd that's standing around, mostly Jewish, they get the backstory here. 
of the folk to whom Luke is writing to, which is a combination of Jews and Gentiles, they too get the backstory. The fact that Jesus makes the Samaritan the godlike one in the story is a critique against his own people. And it's a public critique. <laughs> See, here's the deal. Everybody knew back then that from the Jewish standpoint, the Samaritans were seen as half-breed. They, they, their, their spirituality was seen as inferior. Actually, they were seen as inferior. They were not allowed to worship in the same temple or synagogues along with traditional Jewish people, right? They were looked down upon. They were treated badly. And, and, and here's what Jesus is doing in this moment of public critique. Here's what he's saying. He says, listen, I affirm the fact that, that you, my, my people, the Jewish people, that you're the, the, you're the people the ch- people who God chose to send the promise into the world. That is through 42 generations that I, the Messiah, has entered into the world, that you are my people and I affirm all that wonderful good stuff about you. He says, but this is also true. You've been mistreating the Samaritans. <laughs> the way you're treating those Samaritans is inconsistent with what it means to be followers of God. And actually, this Samaritan is closer to what it means to be a follower of God than you guys are, the folk that God has chosen to bring his promise into the world. It is a public critique of his own people, of his own group, of his own race. This is what's remarkable, powerful, when you're committed to Jesus more than to anyone or anything else. Jesus can then use you powerfully. So if you're in a political party or if you're in an ethnicity and, and things are going right and you affirm those things, shout it from the rooftop. But if you see something that makes you squirm in your seat and have to work to keep your mouth closed, that's not a time to keep your mouth closed. You're accountable to a higher power. Open up your mouth and be a light. As a matter of fact, be a light right where you stand. Be God's light. Be a light for Jesus. Let me wrap this up. Let's go back to verse 33. There's two quick insights about this Samaritan. I love this story. Verse 33. It says, the spies Samaritan came along. And first of all, when he saw, everybody shout, saw. Type that in the text. He saw. Eyes of love helps us to see the other. He was looking at a man who, who at least conceptually despised him, but the man was wounded. Who would think that he was inferior? As a matter of fact, he didn't even know whether or not more bandits was hiding around. So the Samaritan is actually taking a risk to help this Jewish person. But when he saw him, he didn't just see somebody who hated him, but he saw somebody who had the image of God etched into his soul. He deserved help. You've got to keep in mind that the people that you're fighting and arguing and disagreeing about, they too are loved by God because they too have the image of God etched into their souls. Secondly, he saw the man lying in his story. He's lying in his blood and, and, and he's lying in the heart of the story. Jesus telling the story, but look, the story of the man was that he had been jumped on and beaten and stripped and left and he was wounded. And it was because he saw the man lying in his story that the text says he felt compassion. 
You've got to see people that you disagree with as they are lying in their stories. You know, here's what, here's what Dr. King always knew. He grew up in the South. He, he, what caused him to have compassion against those who opposed him, uh, for those who opposed him, was this. He knew that if you were white and you grew up in the South, that you were taught from a baby that your self-esteem was directly connected to the color of your skin, which was directly connected to a sense of superiority over others, which was directly connected to the positions of power that you held in culture and in society. And he understood that the whole work of integration really threatened the very sense of existence of these people who were shaped by that way of thinking. So Dr. King would say, hate the evil system, but love the folk caught up in the system. He was talking about those who were known as white racists who were caught up in the system. He would say, hate the, the evil deed, but love the person. Because his job was not only to liberate those who were the object of hate, as I've said before, but his job was to liberate those who did the work of hate. Both parties had the image of God etched into their souls. You see, he could see them lying in their story, in the brokenness, in the confusion of their stories. Listen, everybody who disagrees with you and passionately, listen, they're lying in their stories just like you're lying in your story. And every story has either a pain, a fear, or an unmet need that drives the passion. Get to know their stories. And at least have compassion, even if you're going to vote against them. That's what it looks like to love your enemies. Let's close this out with Dr. King's final critique. You know, I told somebody in the, in the virtual social hall, this teaching does not mean that you can't speak out for right. Does not mean that you can't passionately argue your, your side of the issue. It, it means that Whenever you argue, whenever you speak out, you do in a way that does not undermine your responsibility to love the very person that opposes you. You do it in a way that does not undermine the fact that you are a Jesus follower. That's why Dr. King was super militant, but he used, he expressed it through nonviolent resistance. Here, he combines compassion and nonviolent existence in terms of the reflective nature and the power of the reflective nature of this kind of loving your enemies. Here's what he says. It's a surprise insight. Here's what he says. Here's the true meaning and value of compassion and nonviolence when it helps us to see the enemy's point of view, to hear his questions, to know his or her assessment of ourselves. For from his view, we may indeed see the basic weakness of our own condition. And if we are mature, everybody shout, if I'm mature, if we are mature, we may learn and grow and profit from the wisdom, watch this, of the brothers who are called the opposition. I have the task not only to teach but to learn, not only to talk but to listen. And I might learn about myself. Listen, Strokey Carmichael, in Dr. King's final days, he was not popular at all. 
He had blown up his political base because he spoke out against the Vietnam War and just shattered his political space. He, 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 he chastised and held accountable his own people, his own group, his own nation, his own president who he supported and who supported him and just shattered his. But that's what you do when you're accountable to a higher power. That's how the light shines in your life. And so everybody was upset with him. And Stokey Carmichael and the young people, Stokey led an organization called SNCC, a Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. And they radically opposed Dr. King towards the end of his life. 20 years later, I had the pleasure as student body president of Gramlin State University to in, invite Stokey Carmichael to be a keynote at one of our events at Gramlin. And Rhonda and I had the pleasure of driving Stroke Carmichael back to the airport and spending some private time talking with him. And so I asked Mr. Carmichael about his opposition to Dr. King towards the end. And in summary, he essentially said this. He said, we thought that Dr. King's teaching of nonviolence and this whole thing about love had grown weak and ineffective. We wanted something different. He said, but 20 years later, we understand now that we just didn't get it then. He knew what we didn't know. And he said that with admiration. And I thought, wow, he did it again. Dr. King's ability to love has transformed Strokey Carmichael 20 years later from one who opposed him to a friend. That's our challenge. Let's go and be the light of the world and love our enemies. Let that infuse your politics. Amen. God, would you work miraculously and transformatively through this message in ways that I can't even imagine, please. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Listen, there's a connection card popping up either on Facebook or on the website. It's also involved, included in our app. And there are some next steps that I want to challenge you to really think seriously about. And one of them, of course, is to say yes to Jesus and be a Jesus follower. There's also a message response there. And it's an action step that I want to challenge you to take. If you check yes to this action step, you're committing to pray a simple prayer every day. And if you're here in America, I want to encourage you to pray it all the way through to November 3rd and beyond. I will pray daily for the heart and eyes of God to fill my life above all, no matter what. Would you pray that prayer? It'll transform you and help you to be a transformer, a light bearer, a balcony person in the world. See you next week. Hey, listen, first of all, thanks for being with us today. And I just got a couple of things really quickly. One, Take out your phone and take a picture of this reflection question. Very important question coming out of the message. Where might there be a weakness, check this out, in my own personal view or my party's view or my candidate? It's an opportunity to do some self-reflection, some critiquing of, uh, of your group. All right? Secondly, if you want to be notified whenever we go live, make sure you push that notification button and make sure you push all